Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another evening, this Thursday evening, where we continue our reflections into uh, the gospel text that we will hear on Sunday that affords us the opportunity to engage the gospel of John, and in particular, that uh, great passage that comes to us from John chapter 10, verses 11 to 18, I am the Good Shepherd. So uh, very much looking forward to this evening. Uh, Debbie is not with me, so uh, if you have any questions, comments, observations, please do not hesitate to email me at jholljmj at yahoo.com, or you can go to my website, uh, joholcraft.org. Just hit the contact link button there and send your email on its way. As I've noted before in the past, it is always a great joy for me to engage you in whatever you are thinking about in dialogue and certainly just in advancing that conversation in our Christian Catholic faith. So please, again, do not hesitate to shoot me your questions. Um, With that, let us just go ahead and and jump in. We do have a lot of rich subject matter to hit here. So if you have your Bibles out there, John chapter 10, verses 11 to 18 reads as follows. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Amen. So rich verses there. And uh, this evening I'm going to draw alongside of my own reflections from one Father Cantal Mesa. You've heard me talk about him before, a renowned Franciscan preacher in Rome. So this great theme of uh, the shepherd... You know, you have heard me talk before about the importance of the literal sense. In fact, I think I've talked about it uh, this week. If we are going to understand the importance of what this theme is all about, we have to go into uh, the history, okay? Because again, the literal sense is that historical context, uh, the cultural milieu from which uh, the author is writing and speaking. The literal sense is about the intention of the author, And when we uh, recapture what the literal sense is all about, it helps us to better understand the verses themselves. So we go into the history of the text so as to appreciate maybe what has been lost a little bit. And by that, I mean the significance of how we think about a shepherd today. Certainly, if 
if you are not close to a farm or you don't know any shepherds, uh, maybe going into the history would certainly help you better understand what this great theme is all about. So uh, this is what we'll do, huh? And in doing so, we turn to the, to the Bedouins, huh? I mean, the Bedouins of the desert give us today an idea of what was at one time, the life of the tribes of Israel. In that society, the relationship between the shepherd and the flock is not only of an uh, economic type, per se, based on interest. An almost personal relationship was developed between the shepherd and the flock. Days and days were spent together in uh, solitary places without anyone around. The shepherd ended up knowing everything about each one of his sheep. The sheep recognized the voice of the shepherd, who talked frequently to the sheep and distinguishes his voice among all others. You know, it has been a fascinating thing to be a father of four children. On one hand, to see the ways in which uh, newborns recognize your voice. If you are a father or a mother, you know what I'm talking about. And certainly it is a phenomenon how when the baby hears your voice, the baby just turns to you. It's just a fascinating thing. But there's something else. I don't know about you, but if you ever uh, have spent a lot of time with someone, you know, your, your best friends, huh? To see that the newborn even recognizes that voice. Our youngest, who just turned one, uh, has spent a lot of time around certain people. And there was one person in particular that I'm thinking about that she met for the first time maybe three and a half, four months into her life. And what struck both me and my wife was the way in which uh, little Sienna, our baby girl, turned to him and uh, just was lit up, was charged. Clearly something was going on there. I spoke with uh, one embryologist about this, and he says, oh, yes, <laughs> she would have recognized his voice given the amount of time that uh, your wife spent with him. So it is a phenomenon, yes, and I think it speaks to directly what we're talking about here, recognizing a voice that you spend time with. It is just an existential phenomenon, and it's a, a fascinating thing to really reflect with, especially uh, if you have children. Uh, so this phenomenon of uh, the sheep recognizing the voice of the shepherd certainly explains why God made use of this symbol to express his relationship with humanity, that relationship that is just not about uh, creator-creature, but father-child, that relationship that distinguishes Christianity from every other faith, that relationship that has uh, the exclamation point of Abba, Father that cry which turns everything upside down in our life. You know, one of the Psalter's most beautiful psalms describes the security of, uh, of the believer in having God as shepherd. We know that great psalm, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So subsequently, the title shepherd is given by extension also to those who act for God on earth, kings, priests, leaders in general, we could say. Now, along with the image of the good shepherd appears that of the evil shepherd, of the mercenary. In the prophet Ezekiel, we come across a terrible accusation against evil shepherds who only feed themselves, followed by God's promise to look after his flock himself. 
In the gospel, Jesus takes up the idea of the good and evil shepherd, but with a novelty. I am the good shepherd. I'm not like a shepherd. No, I am the good shepherd, he says. God's promise has become a reality, exceeding all expectations. Christ does what uh, no other shepherd does, no matter how good he is. Why? Because he is prepared to give his life for his sheep. This, of course, is what distinguishes him as the good shepherd, as the great shepherd. I love this reflection that Father Cantal Mesa offers up here. He says, you know, the man of today rejects with contempt the role of the sheep and the idea of a flock, but he does not realize that he is completely inside it. Think about this critically here. This is Father Cantal Mesa. One of the most obvious phenomena of our society is its massification. We let ourselves be led in this kind of subpoena manner by all kinds of manipulation and concealed persuasion. This is just the way of the world, right? The way of the world is against the truth of Jesus Christ. This is what uh, Paul talks about clearly in Romans 12. So others we see create models of well-being and behavior, ideals and objectives of progress. And what do we do? We follow them, right? We go behind them afraid to be out of step, conditioned, we can say, and kidnapped by so much of this false advertising we see. Ultimately, we eat what they tell us, dress as they show us, and speak as we hear them speak, and we do so in slogans. We, as one uh, phrase has coined it, do anything and everything to keep up with the Joneses. The criteria by which the majority let themselves be led in their choices is simply that everybody does it. Look how the life of the masses develops in a large modern city. As Father Canton Mesa notes, it is the sad image of a flock that goes out together, a flock that is agitated and crowds the cars of trains and subways, and then in the evening returns to the sheepfold of emptiness and of a pseudo-freedom. We smile in amusement when we see a people filmed and fast-forward moving by leaps and bounds speedily as puppets, but it is the image we would have of ourselves if we looked with less superficial eyes. Now, as uh, Father Cantal is reflecting into this, certainly he would have us looking uh, in the mirror and asking ourselves the question, how do we seek to blend in, huh? What is holiness, my friends? What is holiness? We speak so often of this universal call to holiness. Holiness in its root simply means to be set apart. Uh, this is why, you know, uh, Paul talks about this call we have to be sanctified in Jesus Christ. The Greek word there for sanctified is hagiazo, to be set apart from what? The world, right? The world. You have heard the phrase, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. In other words, we are to be in the world, but we are not to belong to the world, the ways of the world, this massification. We need to increase in our relationship with Christ because as the world gets darker, the greater our light shines. So the Good Shepherd, who is Christ, proposes that with Him we experience a more authentic freedom. To belong to His flock is to not fall into 
some false massification, but to be preserved from it. What does Paul say in 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Son of God emerges, still hidden, but obedient to that great passage. Beloved, now we are children of God, though we do not yet know what we shall be. What's going on here? You know, among other topics that we have been talking about is the importance to see that we are created unique in God's eyes, that there is not another Joe Holcraft or our station manager here at KKXX Studios, Andrew Palmquist. There's not another Andrew Palmquist per se. We are unrepeatable gifts created in the image and likeness of God. The world today looks at our individuality with different lenses. The world thinks that uh, Christianity holds us back with all of its rules and regulations. But Christ came that we would receive what? A new heart. In Christ, law moves from rules to virtues. And it is in living in Christian virtue that our individuality shines forth. How? Because it is accented in and with the revelation of God himself. Let us remember, my dear friends, that when God becomes man, he lifts up the curtain to greatness of who we can become in him. And in doing so, at once reveals the splendor of our uniqueness. We just need to be obedient huh, to the prescription which is laid down for us in the objective uh, moral standard revealed by Christ. You know, the flower is only going to be what it is called to be to the extent that it receives proper uh, sun and water, right? And it has to be uh, planted in certain areas according to its nature. We as sons and daughters of God need to be obedient to the Word of God, that we might bloom like that of the flower, uh, also come to appreciate the overarching truth about our Christian anthropology, that we are never to be reduced to what we can do, that utilitarian sense. huh? So often today, we look at the advancement of, of technology as the progression of man. But what was Father Cantal the Mesa just talking about? huh? We are never to be reduced to what we can do, but ultimately, who we are is what it's about. This is why we are not human doings, but human beings. We are only who we are called to be to the extent that we follow the pattern of Jesus Christ. Christ is the good shepherd who leaves a trail for his sheep to follow him all the way home to our eternal destiny. You know, earlier I was talking about Father Cantal and Mace. I also had my, my nose in one Cardinal Schoenborn. Of course, Cardinal Schoenborn uh, is the cardinal who was tasked with being the chief editor of the Catechism of Catholic Church. So certainly he is a man of a great insight into Christian life and thought. And as I was reading him, I was struck by a number of things he talked about. You know, he was reflecting into this good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. I love what he had to say here, you know, what moves us about this image is what? But the feeling of security we have. You know, Christ's sheep are just as important to this shepherd as his own life. Even more important, we can say. This is why he laid down his life. At the critical moment, he does not run away, does not abandon his charges in order to keep himself safe and save his own skin. No. 
Anyone with a shepherd like that, I don't know about you, my dear friends, but should feel safe. <laughs> I mean, how badly we all need people like that, people who do not think only about themselves and their own comfort. How very much do children need such parents, workers, such bosses, and believers, such priests, bishops, and certainly a pope. How very much we need people who undertake their tasks, not merely as a job, but with a mind's eye towards pastoral care. You've heard me talk about the importance of mercy. Remember what the hased means in the Hebrew. Faithfulness, huh? We have to remember that mercy is the chief attribute of God. He is a father who follows through on his promises, and he does so by sending us the good shepherd. Because the good shepherd does not abandon his flock when things get hot, when things get difficult, when the wolf becomes a threat to the flock. You know, part of a shepherd's task is being prepared to stand up in person to what? Well, namely, evil. Just uh, a few days ago, all of the exorcists convened in Rome, and they talked about the explosion of evil. And among so many other things they talked about was the importance of the priest to be rooted deeply in prayer, assisted by the Holy Spirit to confront evil. You know, it's interesting. I was in a conversation with a very holy and orthodox priest about two months ago, and he was talking about this explosion in uh, exorcisms because of the increase in spiritual warfare. And you know, he was very honest. He says, you know, my priesthood is challenged by this because I know I need to go deeper in my faith. I know that it's real. I know that it's important to the life of the church to certainly confront uh, the adversary, to identify evil by its name. And so I need to step up and to ask God for the grace to assist me in, in these days, in this great battle that is before us. And I really appreciated his honesty because, as I've noted earlier this week, truthfulness is a virtue that is so foundational because it opens us up to the will of the Father. You've heard me say that, you know, in prayer, desire must match desire. Our desire to receive God must match God's desire to give us His love. And when our desire does match his desire, the greatness of his mercy that we receive would astound us. And it, at the same time, empowers us to do things we could not ever imagine we could do. And in the context for our discussion now, um, and certainly this priest that I was speaking with, be an exorcist, which is an extraordinary thing that uh, so many more priests are tasked with today. You know, I was just speaking to uh, the role that parents have as uh, good shepherds. You know, certainly uh, this Sunday, this fourth Sunday of Easter is Good Shepherd Sunday, and we focus in on the role of pastors. But uh, within that, we ought to include a reflection to parents, because parents have this role to be guardians of the faith. I mean, if you look at Joseph, what is his principal role? But to be <laughs> the guardian of truth. Uh, he was the first pastor, so to speak, in the context of what it means to guard and to protect. This is what Joseph's name means, to be a guardian of truth, to protect. So parents are good shepherds whenever they do not simply let everything pass. When they protect their children from negative influences, this is one of the great attributes of a good shepherd. You know, 
we have spoken to recently of this image of how uh, grace is like sap. Sap contains all of the nutrients that belong to the tree, uh, hormones, all the life-giving properties to the tree. We've talked about this. It also has the function to guard and to protect. And just by way of footnote, what movie picked up on this? Oh, by the way, but Jurassic Park, right? The uh, mosquito uh, attached itself to the tree. The sap fell over the mosquito. And once the sap hardened in its amber form, it became a protective agent that ultimately would protect the mosquito from any kind of outside damage for thousands, millions of years, right? I mean, this is Jurassic Park's interpretation of it, huh? But ultimately, what's highlighted in that is the nature of sap and how it protects, how it guards. So when we talk about grace being like sap, this might help us to better understand also how, how grace operates in the soul and helps us to be better shepherds. And so parents lean into this grace, learning the language of not only uh, what it means to be protected, but also at the same time, how to protect others. And so Christ, the chief shepherd, expects the shepherds of the church, the pastors, to have the courage not just to say yes and amen to everything, merely to avoid rubbing people the wrong way. Jesus sets an example of how the shepherd has to protect those who belong to him, even at the cost of being what? Unpopular. We were just talking about this massification of just following the masses, huh? What does it take to step out of line? Well, it takes the willingness to be unpopular. It takes the willingness to be persecuted. What did Jesus Christ say in the Beatitudes? If you take up my name, you will be persecuted. So we hear him say, I know my own and my own know me. The shepherd knows his flock and his flock knows him. You know, we usually know pretty quickly whether a shepherd is concerned for us or for himself. Children are hurt, not by their parents being strict, but by the feeling that they do not matter to their parents, right? We are deeply moved when we meet people who are good shepherds. That is to say, we are deeply moved by people who care, and we can make this out, huh? And God be thanked. They are there, those who care in the family, in the professional life, and certainly in the church. They impart what we need so much, a feeling of security, not a false security, but that deeper security that comes with caring in Christ, caring in God. We should be grateful. You know, it's worth pausing here and reflecting into the importance of being grateful for all that we have received. Hmm? It is so easy for us to complain and whine about this or that. So many of us, if not all of us, uh, one time or another have slipped into that disease of, I deserve this or I deserve that. That disease of entitlement. That disease that plagued the elder brother of the prodigal son. We must, my dear friends, acquire that disposition of gratitude, one that flows naturally out of acceptance, accepting what God gives you. There are so many good things that come to us, but we miss them because we're too busy complaining. 
I want us to pause here for a second. I want to give you a homework assignment, okay? I want you to carefully reflect this afternoon, tonight, and ask yourself the question, who is that one person who has done something very special for me, and I simply have missed it because I have been too busy whining, complaining, grumbling, pointing the finger. We all have that one person. And so often we miss the opportunity to say thank you. How many stories have we heard about people at the end of their life talking about how they weren't thankful enough, how they wished they had forgiven someone so that they might have lived in a deeper peace? Let us not miss out on this opportunity, my dear friends. Okay. So my homework assignment is this. Ask yourself the question, and take it to God. Who is that one person who God is asking you to say, thank you? Thank you for all that you have done for me. Thank you for the gift of time that you have given me. Thank you for your small acts of charity that you have done. Simply thank you. There's a lot of power in a thank you. So let us overcome that temptation uh, to whine and complain about things and enter into uh, the much deeper meaning of life itself. We must remember something, and we'll close with this point. I believe it to be a most salient point when you start talking about bigger picture stuff and being in relationship with God. All of the little things that we are probably complaining about are the very things that God is giving us to help us become a better version of who God is calling us to be. What is life about if everything was just handed to us? This is not what the Christian vision is all about. When you read carefully through the gospel, and certainly in Paul's epistles, what you quickly find is that life is a struggle in grace, as St. Augustine said. And when we struggle in God's grace, what we discover is the joy in coming to understand the ways in which God works in all of those moments that we so often miss because we're too busy complaining about it. My dear friends, we need to be a people of recollection and contemplation. And by that, I mean a people who pull back, you've heard me use that phrase before, and then in turn seek to contemplate the meaning and encounter that you've just had. And again, what you'll discover in faith in faith is something priceless, that ultimately the very thing that you were grumbling about is actually a gift from God. Let God surprise you. Let God surprise you. Enter deeper into that life of prayer. Open yourself up to God and allow God to speak to you. Allow God to show you how He desires to meet you in the concreteness of your everyday life. This is what life is all about. When Christ comes to us and says, I am the good shepherd, I lay down my life for my sheep, he is showing us the way in which we discover life itself, that we must first die to self, that on the other side we might know life. Amen. Let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you.
Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.